With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Tottenham Way podcast. I'm Dan Kilpatrick. I'm joined by Tom Orner of The Times, uh, Marcus Buckland and Tom Barkley, both unavailable this afternoon. So we thought we would rattle through a fairly quick pod uh, ahead of Saturday's game against Aston Villa. Um, Tom, loads to get into. I thought an interesting place to start would be Harry Kane. Uh, obviously scored the winner against Palace last weekend, but I'm more interested in in what he's been saying to the media than what he's been doing on the pitch, actually. I mean, he did a, an interview after the Palace game uh, in the mix zone that I was involved in, where he gave a, an endorsement to Ryan Mason, uh, said he's restoring some of the values that the club has lost since Mauricio Pochettino was sacked, which I thought was interesting, and also suggested that he would be speaking to Daniel Levy about the next manager or the chairman's plans for the next manager. He also said he thinks the Conference League is a competition Spurs should be in and a good opportunity for them to win a trophy next season, which I thought was striking. He's done another interview this week with Sky uh, where he's spoken about the club needing to rediscover some of the standards, um, values and culture that they've lost since Pochettino was sacked. Uh, And again, suggested he will be speaking to Levy and members of staff about uh, rediscovering those standards there's a lot to to unpack here, but but I mean, first of all, what what have you made of of those Kane comments? Hi Dan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the first thing to say is that um, it all seems like quite good news for Spurs fans. I think. I mean, I I feel like it would be very easy at this point for Harry to to say the opposite things in terms of, for example, the Conference League. You know, he could easily be saying it's very disappointing. This, you know, we should be striving to be in the Champions League every year, you know, having got to the final a couple of years, you know, in 2019, we want to be back there again. That could very much have been the tone of what he was talking about there. But instead, it was very kind of sympathetic to the Conference League, you know, like Europe is Europe, you know, it's a chance to win a trophy, etc. You know, and I think that in terms of the values and the culture of the club, he's talking like someone who wants to be part of the process of improvement, you know, and, and I think that's kind of a surprise, right? Like we, we almost think that Spurs losing 6-1 at Newcastle, we think this must be the end of the road, that Kane must be about to kind of say, look, there's nothing more I can do here. And I think a lot of Spurs fans would would sympathise with that. They would say, look, he can't do any more. He almost deserves to to go and play somewhere where he can, he can satisfy his own ambitions. So the idea that he is investing emotionally in the uh, in in this process of Tottenham rebuilding, I think is very positive news for Spurs fans as well. You know the idea that he wants to sit down with Daniel Levy at the end of the season, and it, I mean the tone of the comments to me was not I want to sit down with Daniel Levy at the end of the season and um, you know discuss my future. It was I want to discuss the best way forward for the club. And I, I guess what I'm wondering here is, and, I, and I'm only speculating. This isn't information; it's opinion. I'm wondering if this is a is a slight sign of a of a change in Harry Kane that maybe, you know, 
this Harry Kane of 2023 is a slightly different version than the one that was two or three years ago. Maybe he now sees himself as very much part of the of the of Tottenham with the kind of capital T. Maybe he sees himself as part of everything that has to happen now, you know, and he wants to be part of it to the end. Um, whereas maybe a few years ago he saw it more from a kind of point of view of how can I win trophies? How can I, you know, do the best in my career that I can possibly do? Um so I don't know. I mean, is that is that kind of how you saw it? I mean, what was your what were the standout takeaways? For well, he, he's certainly not talking like someone who thinks he's going to leave the club in the summer, and I think that's not hugely significant potentially because it's just words, but it is something. You know, he he is stopping for interviews and he is conducting interviews with Sky, which again is something I imagine. Uh, he could easily dodge. You know, he doesn't have to stop in the mix zone and chat after matches. And I think, kind of historically, it, this was before my time, but I know that when Bale was planning to leave Spurs, and, and and it was the same with Modric. And I think it's true of players at, at every club. You know, when they know that they're going to be pushing for a summer transfer, or when they know they're on the cusp of leaving the club, they don't tend to put themselves forward for difficult questions and, and put themselves in positions they don't have to be in. And that's not the way Kane's behaving at the moment. You know, it's it's quite the opposite. He's seemingly taking and relishing opportunities to speak and almost kind of put a bit of pressure on the club, which is not something we've really seen too much of him before doing before. I think it's normally been putting pressure on the team, um, you know, speaking about things like mentality and desire and heart. But in talking about standards and culture and values, you know, this strikes me as a clear message to, to to Daniel Levy you know we need to get things right off the pitch we need to go back to what we were doing when Poch was in charge and it it does feel significant to me I mean Hoybier also stopped after the Palace game and and I think he also did an interview in Danish in the week um, with some quite strong comments again and I, I just wonder, you know, again this is my opinion and, and not information but if, if that kind of leadership group that we you know, found out about when Stellini was sacked, that Levy chatted to, has decided between them that they need to be a bit more vocal and they need to be squeezing the club a bit more. I mean, obviously Dyer and Larice didn't play against Palace, but the two members of that player committee who did, Kane and Hoiberg, you know, came out and, and Hoiberg was also quite strong and said, you know, the club has a responsibility to make the conditions as good as possible for Kane. Um, which could be interpreted. Which is right. I mean, we've said before. I mean, I don't know how, you know whether the mechanics of the kind of press angle of this are interesting, but we've said before, for example, like Hoiberg, when he's in the mixer and he does this thing where he talks to the the journalist and he and you sort of say, Pierre, have you got a couple of minutes? And he and he sort of looks at you and goes, two questions, and then you're kind of asking the question. And he sort of adopts this sort of side stance where he's kind of half in, half out, as if he's about to receive the ball in the half turn. He's kind of already leaving, isn't he? So the idea that he would actually commit to an interview, you know, is interesting in itself. But also, I think, you know, particularly Harry, like, I mean, you're you're talking about Modric and Bale, but we know firsthand from from when the Manchester City um, speculation was happening that for the the next few months, Harry didn't speak at all. Is that right? I mean, you were covering at that point. I was I was abroad. But, you know, that and that is very different. You know, if we talk about the contrast with with Harry Kane, he has always tended to be one of the players who does speak quite regularly um, to the press. 
like Hugo Lloris, for example, like two or three others. So when he didn't speak for those few weeks and months, it was very clear that that was very much part of the strategy. So this is no accident. It's not not a coincidence that he's suddenly talking. If he didn't want to talk at this point, if he wanted to kind of bunker down for the next few weeks and avoid questions about his future, which he knows are going to come, he could do. So it's interesting, isn't it, just in itself, that he is giving these interviews to Sky, to, to you guys in, in the mix zone at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't remember how he was at the end of the... Mourinho uh, Mason season before he pushed for the move to City. I, I I can't recall, but I know he did not do any interviews when Nuno was in charge, for example. So in in the wake of the the failed <clears throat> transfer summer, and then as soon as Conte came in after the first game, the Conference League game, I forget against who was it? Enes Mura, Conte's first game. Um, no, no, don't ask me. Conference history. Yeah, I can't recall. One of the teams Spurs played in the conference group stage. Conte's first game in charge. Kane immediately spoke after that game. There was no mix zone at the time because it was all COVID protocols, but he did a phone call. Um, and I did it because I was on sort of mix zone duty for for the group that day. So I, I remember being so surprised when I was told that. But that, as you say, it just shows that Kane, um, when he doesn't want to speak, he, he, he won't. And at the moment he is. And as I said, it, it might not, mean anything but it, it certainly feels like something and I think Spurs fans can take heart from the fact that he's not talking like someone who's going to leave the club he's looking ahead he's wanting to raise standards he's wanting to put pressure on uh, the chairman he's looking at competitions they could potentially win last year these, these are all good things and that's not to say he won't you know leave on a free transfer at the end of next season but it, I certainly don't get the impression from what he's saying that he is expecting to be sold to Manchester United uh, I mean, one, one contribution to kind of point out is that we've always sort of assumed that Kane was very much on board with the whole Mourinho and Conte projects, right? Like we always thought that when Mourinho left, Harry was one of the most disappointed players. You know, he was one of the most loyal stalwarts to Mourinho, was devastated and I think, you know, pretty pissed off that they sacked him before the final. I think he couldn't believe that really. Um and even to Conte, like we we know that he really was one of those who absolutely loved it when Conte first arrived, really felt that transformation more than ever. It's fair to say, you know, that Kane has had an amazing season under Conte, perhaps the only one really you could say that of this season. So the idea that he is now kind of questioning the, the sort of loosening values and the drifting culture of the club in the last two or three years suggests that he also recognises perhaps that whilst these two managers were in themselves fantastic managers with incredible pedigree perhaps he also is now seeing that the matchup wasn't right um and yeah. maybe you know that's a slightly kind of craving for the sort of pochettino model again but it does suggest that maybe he thinks yeah i would also accept you know someone else you know not a huge name maybe it suggests that spurs don't have to kind of sign the next uh conte to try and persuade kane to stay um i think as we say you know we, we shouldn't read too much into it we can't go you know take too much from it it's an interview ultimately I think there's still a lot of road left to run in this but I do think it's it's overall I think Spurs fans can have a little bit of optimism at the end of what's been obviously a difficult few weeks yeah and I think that's a good segue into our next section which is the new manager hunt we wanted to chat a little bit about that not that we have um any kind of concrete news or developments since, since we last spoke on the podcast but it, it certainly does seem you know, from from what we're both hearing um that Spurs are in the market for 
the profile of manager that they got in 2014 in Pochettino. You know, someone who with a bit of experience, but who is clearly on the way up in the game. Um, someone who is kind of hungry to prove themselves and has that fire in the belly that that Poch clearly had. Um, you know, nine years ago, and and actually is you know as as galling as it is for all Spurs fans that Pochettino is you know, on the verge of joining Chelsea, and and you know as as kind of sickening as that will be, particularly given that Spurs didn't approach him for for many fans, I think an argument in the club's favour is that Pochettino now is, is, you know, is not Pochettino in 2014. You know, he's, he's nearly a decade older. He's, um, you know, a different coach, perhaps a bit more ego and perhaps a bit less fire in the belly. And, and maybe, you know, that's what Spurs are thinking, but, you know, w- do you think that's the, the, the kind of right approach um, for, for the new manager? Cause I, I, do I mean I think Spurs desperately need someone who a wants to be there and and b kind of is isn't on the way up and as you know is not won multiple titles like Mourinho and Conte I think that's the wrong pro, you know, profile of coach. Um, yeah, I mean I absolutely think it's the right approach. I, mean, I, I don't think you know they should avoid people who have won stuff. That's not necessarily you know doesn't have to be. I mean that's why I think you know. Nagelsmann, for example, I think almost ticks both boxes because you can kind of feel like he's a he's an up and coming coach who will who has enjoyed his best success at kind of middling clubs, you know, who are upwardly mobile, which you would kind of say Tottenham are. Um, but equally, he has that kind of star pedigree, I guess, that would uh, would satisfy Levy. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, where he takes both boxes. If they can't persuade him to take over, and we know there are obstacles there, um, then I think it's obvious that the kind of uh, second tier list is very much a list of of the names of that, that, that tick all the kind of profile boxes that you've mentioned there, Dan. Like you know, we're talking about Ruben Am- Amarine, for example, uh, Deserbi, Shabby Alonso. There's interest now. You know, these are all guys who I think Spurs are considering. You know, they want to definitely get their ducks in a row. I think I've said before that um, I've really felt talking to people at the club that they want to avoid you know, the fiasco that happened before post-Mourinho. They're desperate to kind of avoid this idea. They have one number one choice and they get bounced from one manager to the next, everything happening very much in public and them losing control of the process, which I think is why from the outside, it kind of feels like it's a little bit slow, a little bit pedestrian, like not much is happening, particularly in comparison to Chelsea, who almost kind of did do everything in public and now look like they're going to get Pochettino pretty quickly. But I think that's why Spurs are trying to be fairly careful here. They're trying to trying to be quite considered in their approach. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you know, just touching on Pochettino. I, I mean, I think in a way, it, it, I can understand the logic. I've always said that you know the rationale, black and white, of whether Pochettino is the best next choice for Tottenham. I don't necessarily think he was, but I think there is an argument to say going back to the end of March when they got rid of Conte and they were what a point off third, very much still in the race for fourth. If they'd appointed Pochettino bang immediately in the next week or two, I think they probably would would have, would have still made the top four. Um, so it, it, it the proof is in the pudding, I guess. It depends who they get in the summer, and it depends how that goes next season. And, we'll, and, then, and then we can judge whether or not uh, passing up the chance to, to get Poch back was a good decision. Yeah, you can already see how the narrative might unfold and how that might really alarm the club. You know, if Nagelsmann doesn't want the job because he has concerns about the lack of a director of football or the identity of the director of football or whatever, then, you know, it already becomes a, a case of, well, they didn't get too sure. He went to Bayern. They didn't get Nagelsmann. He said, no, they they turned they turned down Poch. He's gone to Chelsea. And then, and then suddenly 
they're almost back in a situation that they're in in summer 2021 where anyone they do go for will feel kind of snubbed and you know, certainly Deserby just for example seems like the kind of character that wouldn't take kindly to feeling like he he wasn't first choice or, or feeling like he was a kind of fullback option um so I can understand that the sort of reticence of the club to um have a leading target as it were um I suppose as just a final point it does feel like though um you know certainly in the case of Enrique, who seemed to be a target a few weeks ago, that Lewis Enrique, Dan. Lewis Lewis Enrique. Enrique. So, uh, you, you have to call him by his full name. Is, is that right? It's correct. Yeah, Enrique right. isn't isn't it's not the uh, it's not the surname. You know, it's the it's uh, it's the full name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my apologies uh, to Lewis Enrique if he's listening. Which Apology is... accepted. Uh, yeah, yeah it feels like maybe in the case of Lewis Enrique, he's the one that's been linked. Um, that doesn't really fit that profile. You know, he's he's a bit older. He's won the treble at Barcelona. He's a pretty big name, well-established coach. Um, you know, my understanding is he's he was kind of well liked by Paratici. So not to rule him out, but I wonder if he's the one that kind of feels like he's probably on the back burner now of the names we we've we've mentioned. And and just to to add, since we lasted a pod, company, Vincent Company at Burnley signed a new contract. So I think he's probably out there running as well. I mean, I think company would have been a, an interesting one, but I think, you know, we were saying before in the Deserby, you know, the sample size for him is small. That would be the, the one risk there. And I think with company, that's that's even more the case, you know, when you consider he's been, you know, one season, albeit a very successful one, very impressive one in in, in the championship. His work and elect was, you know, okay, but, you know, not, not nearly as impressive. So I, I, I suspect Tottenham wouldn't have gone there anyway. Um, right? And and then in terms of Luis Enrique, yeah, I mean, I, I also think that he was very much favoured by Paratici rather than uh, Daniel Levy. And I think now that kind of process has moved on. Um, I don't think he's in the kind of uh, the top choices, um, which is a shame because he would have been a great character. And actually, you know, Enrique, you know, was kind of the front runner for a while at Chelsea. He was sort of, you know, on the kind of high shortlist for a while at Spurs. Um, and he's ended up with neither job. So it's uh, not been a great start for some of him. Yeah, and, and just on company, I, I think my view is that he would have been a really exciting appointment, but my concern would have been the City link. It would have been forever hanging over him, I think, and and will be uh, until he goes there or, or until he flops and he's no longer a contender to go there. You know, if, if he was to come to Spurs or, or any other club, do very, very well, then that would only increase the kind of noise about him being Pep's long-term successor I think so I think that would always be a concern um that he would effectively be using the club as a stepping stone um I, mean, I think it is worth saying I think we're going to talk about Villa now when I mean, you look at Unai Emery for example and how well he has done at Villa in such a short space of time and he effectively had a sort of mini pre-season during the World Cup uh to kind of sort Villa out but you can see how much what a difference a, a really good coach and a really good fit can make very quickly you know and I think I said this a couple of pods ago about how you know the, the crisis at Spurs looks like it's kind of all-encompassing and you know festering and all throughout the whole club and it's something that can't be fixed but I really think if they get this next appointment right it can be fixed very quickly and they can they can have a good season next season and actually the squad they have now of players a lot of these players can suddenly look like actually pretty good players instead of the ones we've seen this season. 
yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and actually, that is what Kane, to go back to that, has, has been saying on Sky this week, that you're never that far away. Uh, and equally, I think on the flip side of that, you, you're never that far away. And this is one of kind of Conte's very dire negative warnings, I remember, um, from some point last season. You, you're kind of never that far away from slipping down the table in the Premier League because it's so strong. We've just kind of been borne out uh, by Spurs and Villa at times this season. You know, Villa were in relegation trouble when they sacked Gerrard. They'd won two of their first 12 games, I think. Emery came in and their form in the last two thirds of the season has been probably good enough for a top four place. Um, you know, that's that was certainly the case before they lost to United and Wolves. Um and Spurs I think took over at Villa as something like second or third in the league. I think they yeah, only I City was, and Arsenal had more points. Certainly before the last two games, only City and Arsenal had, had got more points than them. Um I suspect Newcastle might have just edged it now. But and then again, I suppose we were kind of in the, the top four push for most of the season and suddenly, you know, slipped down and, and, and we were talking about kind of eighth place finishes, um, you know, not long ago, which doesn't look like it's going to happen now after the, the, the Palace win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for me, yeah, Villa are a kind of encouraging example of, of how quickly things can change. Um, but also, you know, p- potentially a threat to Spurs if they get it wrong. You know, they're an upwardly mobile club who now have a very good coach in charge. Um, they're going to have presumably, you know, summer backing Emery in the transfer market. He'll have a summer, a proper pre-season with his players. Uh, and they, they should be a good side and a hard-to-beat side next season that are looking at the kind of top seven and eight again. And again, for Spurs, get it wrong. And there's there's no kind of guarantee that, that they'll be, you know, up there themselves. You think Villa could be a, a top four candidate next season? I don't know. I just haven't watched enough of Villa this season. But as I said, that their form since Emery came in is is top four. Um, you know, you look at how kind of Eddie Howe turned around Newcastle after a difficult start and then just kind of carried it on into this season. It wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility for for Villa to to do the same thing next year. You know, to 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 just continue their form from the the, the sort of second half of this season into the new campaign. Um, but I mean, I think, I think what's interesting as well is that because he's done so well in these kind of nine or 10 months that he's had, or not quite as much as that, six months, I think he has huge faith now from the club. And that's what I almost think Tottenham don't have this summer. They don't have this, this kind of momentum going into the summer transfer window. You know, I have some concerns about how they're going to manage this window. You know, the idea they're going to make, you know, two or three early signings, get on the front foot early on, you know, have a coach ready, a sporting director ready, like seems fanciful right now. You know, and you look at someone like a team like Villa, they have a coach who they really believe in. They've got results that really give them, you know, extra faith and belief in in him. And they've already, you know, got some pretty good targets seemingly that they're ready to kind of move forward in the summer. So they're already a step ahead of where Spurs are. That doesn't mean the ground can, you know, can't be made up. But it does mean that, you know, we can't forget this organisational chaos that has been in the last few weeks will affect Tottenham in the next few weeks you know will affect them during the summer as well so mm. I, mean, I think it'll be I think it'll be a close game I mean I think you have to sort of say that Villa are probably favourites going into it right I mean that, that's given you know you look at the form of the two teams you, you'd say that Spurs would if they if they got a victory that would be a pretty pretty big win well Villa have run out of steam a bit they they've lost to United and Wolves in the last two uh, so they were really on the boil in the middle of last month when they beat Newcastle 3-0. So I think 
it's it's not the worst time to play them. It looks like they they that momentum they had that was kind of driving mm-hmm. toward the top six has kind of dissipated a bit. Um, and obviously Spurs have got some momentum of their own after after last weekend. Um, I mean, I think from a Spurs point of view, what you know, what I'm really interested to see um, is whether a Mason sticks with the the kind of hybrid system that he used against Palace with the back four without the ball and the back three with it. And just whether Spurs look a bit more fluid going forward, because I think the defence was obviously encouraging against Palace, but there were clearly teething problems in attack and, and what they gained defensively, I think they lost in the final third in terms of some of the patterns of play and uh, the threat from Richarlison, Son and Kane. They've had another week on the training ground and you know, does that system now look look even better and, and kind of uh, more, more finely tuned uh, on Saturday? Um, I think... You know, if if it does, then you know I would maybe make Spurs narrow favourites given the way Kane's playing, um, and I think that would be a kind of another feather in Mason's cap. I mean, I think it really it wasn't that you know previous performance against Palace was really interesting. I thought in terms of Mason's influence on the team, I always think it's very easy for a kind of a caretaker, temporary manager to kind of come in and just sort of say, oh, everyone go out and enjoy yourselves and to loosen it up and for suddenly you have a kind of free-flowing team, but actually not really a team that looks like it could be sustainable over any kind of length of time. And for them to put in that performance that, okay, was maybe, you know, slightly slightly dry, but to look so much more compact, so much tighter in such a short space of time, you know, I think a new manager, that is what a new manager, a new permanent manager would do. They'd go back to the fundamentals of this team and tighten up, you know, and start from the back first. You know, you wouldn't, you know, open Spurs up to a kind of 5-4 game every week. You know, I think the fact that Mason was able to do that, I think was a real a real encouraging sign in terms of him as a coach. I don't think he's going to get the permanent manager job. I don't think you do either. Um, but I think we have shown, he has shown signs in these few weeks that he does, he does know what he's doing. And uh It'll be really interesting to see where where he ends up and where he goes and how he does. Mm. Before we go, let's talk about a story uh, you've done in the Times today uh, about Hugo Lloris. Do you want to talk us through it? Yeah, uh, Hugo is uh, the latest kind of uh, star name, I guess, to kind of have a, a, a big offer from Saudi Arabia. So, um, you know, we obviously know Cristiano Ronaldo's there. We know Messi has a, an offer from there. We know Sergio Busquets now has an offer to go there. Um, and Lloris is uh, is also kind of weighing up um, another huge um, contract deal, which he would pick up there. And I mean, you think Luis is, what, 36 now? Um, the idea that he could even maintain his wages, which are about 100,000 a week, I think, as Spurs, um, anywhere else, you know, is, is you know, pretty uh, fanciful, really. So the idea that he could be trebling his wages, which is what the offer stands at, um, is is obviously going to be a very tempting very tempting uh, proposal for him and in in at this stage of his career so it remains to be seen i mean the idea is that he wants to speak to daniel levy at the end of the season um but you know we know spurs are looking at kind of long term replacements Lloris. he's got a year left on his contract uh, his form obviously has been a bit patchy he now injuries kind of creeping in as well i think there is a general feeling that it might be time for all parties to move on and and he might be ready to seek a seek a challenge elsewhere yeah, I mean, it It makes sense, I think, for all parties if kind of Spurs are happy with what I assume would be a free transfer or a kind of pretty nom- you know, nominal fee. Because um, I just don't see him being number one next year. I think that's pretty clear now. And I, and I equally don't see him 
kind of hanging around. Um, I suppose, interestingly, you know, something I mentioned to you before we started recording was that Lloris, as France captain, was was kind of quite clear that he didn't feel players should have to answer human rights questions before the Qatar World Cup. Um, obviously, those questions are, you know, equally prevalent when it comes to talking about Saudi Arabia and, and playing in Saudi Arabia. But the impression I got from kind of speaking to him about that was that, you know, he he probably wouldn't have those moral concerns. And and I think, to be fair, there aren't many footballers who would. Um, but I know that will be uh, an issue for some supporters, but I don't think, you know, Lloris is, is, is going to be you know, thinking along those lines, to be honest. Um I mean, one hypothetical alternative, I mean, you know, you say that you couldn't see him being a backup. I mean, do you think there's any possibility, you know, knowing Hugo, uh, not as we do, because we don't know him, but you know what I mean? Having spoken to him a fair few times and mixed those things, I mean, do you, do you think under the, if, if he got sort of a manager who he really wanted to be around again, you know, a kind of Pochettino Mark II, you know, and he really felt like it was a project he wanted to kind of be part of for another year, could you imagine him kind of, you know, playing a bit of a more a bit part role, a sort of leadership role in the dressing room, that kind of thing? I mean, we know that David De Gea, for example, is kind of accepting a reduced contract at United with the idea that he might not be number one next season. Do you think yeah, Lloris could possibly play that kind of role in, in the squad? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, Pochettino, in his book, described Lloris as a kind of auxiliary member of the coaching staff. And I know that Lloris... And kind of did have not special treatment, but was respected and is respected to the point of Spurs where, you know, he's he's almost in some respects kind of a, a, above the other members of the squad. You know, he's he's able to sort of ar- arrange his own media from time to time, for example. You know, if there's a French reporter he wants to, to speak to, you know, the, the club will let him do that and they won't kind of manage that in the same way that they might um, with other players. So, he, you know, he, he, he does almost feel like... Um, you know, a part of the coaching staff at times. I, I think, you know, had Poch come back to the club in in that hypothetical, I could see it. I'd, I'd be quite surprised. Um, I mean, there's the payday element, and then there's the kind of competitor element as well. Um, you know, it's hard to think of another coach apart from Pochettino who he has, you know, particularly emotional links with that would do that. You know, that yeah. I mean, all, all coaches seem to love him, but I mean, he in terms of the kind of mutual love i think it was it was it was all about potch wasn't it so yeah i, I, mean, I, I don't think so many press conferences where we kind of asked the the manager like oh what about hugo's slightly bad form what about that mistake that he made in that really important game you know is there a chance that you know he might get dropped or whatever and it's always just remarkable how many times whether it's Mourinho or conte or obviously pochettino how much they say Larissa is a world class goalkeeper. He's like the first name on the T sheet. What a man! What a person! You know that the the praise is always completely forthflowing and forthcoming, isn't it? Like, I yeah, com- completely. I mean, status we, in the club should... dressing is has always been you know untouchable. We we should do a special on 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 Larissa. I mean, especially as he may well have, have played his last game for the club. Um, you know, a, a, a pretty sad end, I think, at Newcastle. All things considered, I know. You know, supporters were growing frustrated at his form, um, and he didn't cover himself in glorious St James's Park at all. But you know, for that to be potentially his last game of a, you know, ten year spell or ten eleven year spell is is is, is pretty sad, I think. Um, but it, we, sorry, 
testimonial maybe yeah yeah that would be nice that would be nice against Nice in Nice ideally so we can all have oh, a jolly yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're running out of time um, and I think we've, we've, we've covered a lot there so um, we're going to wrap it up if you um, like these kind of short form midweek pods uh, please do let us know any feedback without Tom and without Marcus without, particularly without the other Tom and without mm. Marcus um, any feedback is really helpful and uh I hate to be beggy, but please do get on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, and take 30 seconds to leave us a, a review and a rating because then that helps, helps boost us above the other hateful Spurs podcasts out there who we're, we're trying to crush. Um, so thank you to Tom. Uh, we'll Pleasure. be back uh, next week with a Villa review. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.